House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 7, Driftmark. This is probably one of the harder episodes to do a podcast about because there's a lot of unspoken communication, a lot of looks, and a lot of voiceovers. Uh, of I would scenes. also offer there's just so much content in however way it was presented for us to talk about. So I do kind of want to warn people that this might be a longer one. We'll see. I also want to make a plug for these deep dives. I appreciate our first impressions ones, but you and I literally aren't thinking much at all. We kind of go straight from watching it to a podcast. So it really is a first impressions podcast, which is great. But this is one where we literally go scene by scene. If you're into that sort of thing, this is where we find the little nuances and things that could get more fun to listen to if you're really into this. And a lot of stuff can easily get missed upon first viewing of this one. I definitely changed my mind about a few scenes or noticed things I didn't see before. Yeah, me too. All right, well, it opens up with the ocean burial scene at Driftmark. Well, and I would just like to point out, this is directed by Miguel. So a lot of people in the past, whenever they see an an episode directed by Miguel Sapochnik, or however you say his name, you're in store for something good. Yeah, and typically an action episode. So he did the Battle of the Bastards, and he did the, the Long Night. So I thought there might be some kind of battle scene here, even though I couldn't have predicted where it might have come from but there wasn't but it was still a very tense great episode so Vaymond is giving the eulogy and he's really laying it on thick I wrote down his words here I don't know if you did too but it basically says that um Lena had two true-born daughters salt runs through valerian blood ours runs thick ours runs true and ours must never thin and of course at this point Damon laughs because Renera is thinning that valerian blood by having bastard children with strong here's something where a point of contention for me so did Viserys with Alicent it's no different than what Rhaenyra's done the only difference with Rhaenyra is that her kids are considered bastards well and they're not Valarian at all even though they have the Valarian name so of course if you mate outside your family you're going to thin the blood but they are named Valarian but they're literally not an ounce of Valarian whereas Viserys children are half Targaryen so during this eulogy of Vaymond, uh, he's speaking in High Valerian. And this is something that you and I have spoken about before, of who actually understands this. I know Viserys understands this, but I actually do not believe that a lot of these other people present do. I think Corliss's family does, but a lot of, I, I would be surprised at all if the High Towers do. Yeah, I would assume that it's the Valerians and the Targaryens and possibly a few of their close people right so why i'm pointing this out is a bunch of people are just standing there and it's like going to a catholic mass in latin you just don't really know what they're saying and so he is speaking about blood here and he is specifically talking to certain people to make sure they hear this so he's talking in in plain sight so to speak uh but he's he's sending a message to everyone here to corliss to viserys to renera about blood I, i i think he's it's more than subtly hinting, but, but he's not coming out right and saying it either. Um, well, and of course, this is one of the big topics of this and many other episodes, and we'll see more splits in this episode over how important you know, blood is versus not, but we can see clearly what side well, Vaymond lines up on. He has truly chosen a theme about blood, what blood represents, how, like, putting it out there that he knows and, and that he is... Like, he's drawing lines in the sand a bit here, but he also could be a problem um, because he is now not showing that he's going to put the family first of their needs. 
Because Corliss doesn't care. He's not going to put the name family first. Yeah, but the whole family could go under because of the controversy with this. Yeah. That's a risky move to go. Well, uh, especially is... since the only male heirs at this point exist through Rhaenyra's line. Whether they're true blood or not, they still are heirs in name. And because this realm loves their male heirs, it's a big move. Vaymon also, and they film it this way, he is staring at Damon almost the entire time he's giving this eulogy. It's not subtle either. Uh, well, subtle enough for me not to notice. Why do you think he was staring at Damon? It's interesting because this is Lena's funeral and he's, ta- he's using it as an opportunity to turn it into a pulpit about blood, but I think he's also trying to get back at Damon, even though Damon hasn't really done anything wrong in regard to this marriage with Lena. Well, and if Vaman had to, based on what he's saying, had to choose blood or non-blood, he would have to square fully on Damon's side. Well, and so here's the thing, too. You can see he's got some beef with Damon, but it also might be like, Damon, I'm not going to accept your niece's kids, but I'll accept yours. So hear what I'm saying, that your kids are important to me as a Valerian and what this could represent. Well, right. So that's why, you know, I mentioned right after Damon laughs, it cuts right to Jace because we're, you know, seeing the... The target of, one of the targets of his, you know, uh, I don't know what the right word would be. Well, he laughs specifically because he has this whole uh, speech about blood, but it's when he specifically says ours must never thin, uh, that that's when Damon laughs. In true Damon character form. So one other thing that Damon says here is he talks about the two true born daughters, which I think he could have just said daughters. And they will all remain bound together by blood. And so we know that literally here, just in terms of the genetics and hereditary, but blood is a huge thematic piece throughout this entire um, episode. So I think it could also mean things, people who fight for one another with blood can be bound together. So I think there's a lot of different meanings of what this could mean. I mean, we also saw Damon Renera get bound together by blood at the end of the episode. So... Everything in his speech, I was paying a lot of attention to. And they're just giving us some quick character studies here, uh, just you know, showing us that Aegon is quite bored and Laenor is grief-stricken. So, It also is setting up that Laenor just can't fulfill his role. He's too self-indulgent for what he wants to do or how he is feeling in the moment. And unfortunately, Rhaenyra's husband, she needs to expect more. Laner is an honorable man, but he's not dependable for what his role requires of him. And I think this is a way in which they're really setting it up. How do you think that is shown in this scene? He's supposed to be holding it together the way everybody else is, the way Corliss is, the way Rainey's is. He's, the only kids are, get, the I think, the exception, but all the adults, you're expected to hold it together and you're expected to be present and you're expected not to be drunk. So we see all different versions of this. He is not present and he is not holding it together to the point that Corliss feels slighted and is upset and then goes to Carl and says, go retrieve your patron in front of everybody. Yeah, which I thought was a kind of a strange scene. Just from a strategic point of view, I don't know why he would do that, make a show of it. Stuff I think like he that. lost his cool. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a way to remind viewers of who Carl is just in case we forgot. Yeah, I mean, I think it also just shows how egregious it is that, that Lenor is, is missing at such an important time for the family and loss. Um, I did think it was neat. We, we get a couple of these in Game of Thrones at various points, but 
I, I've always appreciated funeral scenes the same way that we get to see wedding scenes because it shows us so much of culture and how much it can differentiate between the houses and lands. Like I remember we got to see Tully, uh, a funeral. And when you're in the sept, like when Joffrey died, like we uh, we got to see with uh, Greyjoys. So here we're seeing something that reminded me a little bit of House Greyjoy of going back into the sea. I remember thinking when they dropped Lena in that that's their cemetery. So she's good. There's going to be a bunch of other stone uh, coffins there with other Valerians, depending on how long they've been at Driftmark. And you can actually see a couple of them there. Um, we get like a, I don't know what's called, a, fi- a big shot of all of five dragons hanging out at Driftmark. And that's the first time we've seen them grouped together like that. It was just kind of a cool shot. It's not all the dragons that are there, though. There are more than five present there. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Um, well, if the dragons follow their people, then there are. Because we know that there's two coming with... Uh, so Helena and Aegon, they have their two. Then Jace and Luke have their two. And then Rhaenyra and Damon and then Vagar. That's seven. I believe Jason Luke, yeah, did not ride the dragons there. Well, I don't think any of them rode them there, but the dragons follow. Aemon rode uh, Vagar away. I, so I assumed all three were ridden there and ridden back from that side, of, from the greens. Uh, but it really doesn't matter. But we see at least five there. Which we also see the dragons hanging out, not being antagonistic toward, towards each other here. So a little difference in the book <clears throat> is that I will say when these big parties get together, the dragons are a little bit antagonistic towards each other. There's some sniping and barking and not all all out fighting, but yeah. And I like these big funeral wedding scenes because you get the whole cast together and who they choose to focus on, what gets said. It's, um, can be pretty interesting. So we open up with Renera kind of walking in this, they're all standing outside and she's looking around. She makes eye contact with Damon, but that doesn't go around. We see this a few times with her, out there, but it almost looks like she's looking for somewhere to go and someone to talk to, but there's nobody There's nobody for her. She seemed pretty isolated yeah. here, and, and I think that's very intentional. It's showing how she needs to work harder to get her allies together and on her side and set. She doesn't even run up to her father and give him a hug. Like The jovial nature that we have seen in this family previously is totally gone now. Yeah. Yeah, so she eventually goes up to Jace... Uh, asking where Lenor is, whether she actually cares or not, I don't know, but she needs somewhere to go and something to say. And, you know, Jace is upset, and he, he points out he has an equal claim to sympathy, having lost the Strongs, and he wants to be at Hall, you know, for what, whatever, the funeral, the Strong funeral, or to pay his respects and, and whatnot. This stood out to me. So, one, we knew that Jace suspected, but now we see that Jace full-on out knows and is holding the secret, too. Um, and, and he's talking about it like openly here a little bit with Renera, and she's kind of teaching him like, hey, we can't. It wouldn't be proper or appropriate. But he knows exactly who Sir Harwin was. What stands out to me about this, though, is Sir Harwin was kind and present to the boys and his sons, but he wasn't a father. He wasn't in a father role. It's like that friendly neighbor or uncle who occasionally stops by. Laner has been a dad and in a father role. So it's not like they haven't had any father, just these glimpses of Sir Harwin. 
He's well, got two. It's just that Sir Harwin has provided the biological material here for him, but his father is Lenor. I'm under the impression that Sir Harwin was around quite a bit. It, it's not is... like he could be so open with their affection because we saw that when the baby was born that he held back. He waited until he was given permission. The, no, the only time is he did ask to hold the baby. This was over the 10-year time jump, so <clears throat> we really don't know exactly how much, but we do know that Jace and Luke were very upset that he was leaving, and he said he was going to write, and if we take that scene in the training yard as indication of any way that he might have been in the past, he's acting very fatherly. So it, I think they had to act that he wasn't their father, and it was because he finally acted like the father of why he had to go. He lost his position. It wasn't just hitting Sir Kristen. They hid it. He could not act like a father, and they could only do it behind closed doors, and even then, it was still a bit uh, blunted. Like, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I'm seeing it different. Whether Jace truly knows or not, I mean, he's still a little boy and he knows that the person he cared about is gone and that the person that they're... Which is a, why if he acted outrightly, you can't trust a child to hold that secret. Cut over to Helena, who is, I don't know what we would call it, speaking one of her dreams or whatever. And this is pretty hard to interpret, but she's repeating... Hand turns loom, spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. I don't think I want to spend a bunch of time trying to interpret it. We did have some thoughts on it, but if we don't want to waste everyone's time if we're wrong or, <laughs> or whatever. Did you want to give any thoughts to that? Um, well, basically, it, I think a lot of times these things are, you can't interpret literally just like actual dreams. Um, but I'm thinking of a spinning wheel here. Um, and it just reminded me of the wheel of who's on top of all the houses from Game of Thrones, but the hand turns the loom. Um, and so there's this wheel. I'm, I think the hand could even just be time, um, but that this is, it's a spinning uh, of who's going for power here, the, the players. The spool of green, we've got team green, and the spool of black, we've got team black. So I think that's pretty straightforward. So she's basically just predicting the coming civil war. Yeah, and then dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread. The dragons of thread are these houses, uh, and the dragons of flesh, I think, are the actual dragons. And so these actual dragons are playing a big role in how these houses come together and exist. And with all due respect to the dreamers and the Targaryen family, you don't need uh, predictive powers to see this coming civil war <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah. And Aegon and Aemond are talking at this point, and we find out that Aegon is betrothed to her. So the older brother is betrothed, and he's complaining about it, calls her an idiot. And Aemond is kind of defending her, saying he, yeah. would, he would do his duty here, and that it would strengthen the family, and that it would keep the blood pure. That is something uh, I took note of. So I, I didn't remember correctly with our first impressions. It's only Aegon who is being cruel about her. Note that the family does not hide Helena and how she is different from anybody else. So all the court and all the land knows that Helena is different and acts like this. And to most people, she probably acts crazy. A lot of times families do not put that out in public. They hide those people away. They make sure the servants are dedicated and loyal. Uh, so that doesn't happen here. Aegon is pretty cruel, but we're getting a, a good feel for who Aegon is with a lot of things here. Um, but Aemond really starts to stand out here of, he's Allison's son. You can see here the duty, duty, duty is very much there. He does also speak about 
keeping the blood pure, which is an interesting notion here um, because he's got some pretty stuck up notions for such a young kid about blood and other things, which there's some irony here because he's not full Targaryen. Right. While they do marry within the family, I, I don't think it's ever expected that they'll be full Targaryen. Like the, the Targaryens marry outside the family more often than inside and suppose you have to when you don't have that many people. But when it's but, often talked about keeping the blood pure, that's often when you talk about keeping it in the family. Most Targaryens are snobs and see themselves closer to gods than to men and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, they're going to have notions of superiority. And with Helena, it shows her, you know, messing with the spider. And she closes her hand over the spider, puts it in the um, shell or whatever. And then it immediately cuts to Larry's. So I don't know if that uh, means anything, but, you know, his sigil is a bug. So maybe Helena will have something to do with his demise. And that's not a book spoiler, by the way, guys. I have no idea of the future of Helena and Lars, but just the way they, they decided to film this transition made me wonder. This is also a time when we, it's not a surprise, but Rhaenyra had proposed uh, a betrothal with one of her kids and Helena. And this, we see now that that has not happened. Alicent had said over my dead body, basically. Uh, and, and they've gone ahead and, with a betrothal here for Aegon and Helena. So they've done it, which just shows how little power Viserys really has. That he just blatantly doesn't go along with something that's spoken in court uh, by that, his daughter. That he uh, thought was a good idea. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Alicent betrothed them probably quite quickly to prevent should feelings develop between you know, these people organically. Well, and, and Viserys was married to his cousin. And then Jace and the Valer Damon's daughters, one of them, I'm not going to guess which one, have a little moment here, a little silent moment where they hold hands. They don't say anything. And I think it's understood here what Jace said before, that the sympathy can run both ways here. So we don't know exactly how much the daughters, Damon's daughters, know about Jace's parentage, but... It didn't come across to me as just Jace supporting her. She supported him. I think she even grabbed his hand. So. Yeah, she, she did. But he made himself available. And what we're seeing here, though, is that these two, uh, th these cousins are actually feeling connected. Except for when they're all uh, ganging up on Amond. It, it is really funny here, though. Can you imagine? Remember when Otto originally proposed that Aegon and Rhaenyra get married? Could you imagine those two together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like too disturbing for me. We cut over to a nice scene of Corley's explaining the succession succession of Driftmark to Luke, straight up saying it's his birthright. So it it's not actually his birthright if he's a bastard, but Corlys doesn't care. We see this a few times in this episode. But Luke and Kid Logic, which is good logic and kind of sad, says he doesn't want it because if he gets it, it means everyone else is dead. So that we, we get more of uh, Renera kind of walking around a little bit lost. She, she goes under the tent to get a drink or whatever and runs into Rainey's. And Rainey's basically snubs her. Yeah, there's no love lost between these two. Yeah, so I think Renera tries to smile at her and Rainey's just turns around. Gives her back to her. So Renera is not popular right now. This scene is so amazing because you really do, it cuts to a lot of different people's faces. And 
where they're looking or not looking, who they're standing with. So like, as we started this podcast, you said a lot happens, but not through dialogue here um, or in glances or gestures. And, and I, I think we really see a lot here that when this starts out, Renera is not powerful at all, this episode. Yeah. Something that uh, happened right before this scene though, uh, Sir Kristen Cole points out to Allison that Lara Strong is unabashedly staring at her. So he is saying that He's being obvious. Everyone can see this. What a creep. Well, and it makes you really wonder, are there feelings there? Is it not just, he's not just being strategic and using her as a piece? Does he actually feel like he's got some sort of bond or connection or is he in love with her? Littlefinger Sansa vibes or Littlefinger Catelyn Stark vibes. And and he's doing it out in the open. Which... Right. He's too smart to... Um to do that unless it's part of his strategy. I agree. But so the fact that they put this in there and, but then it's Sir Kristen Cole who's pointed it out. And you've also mentioned, is there tension between him and Allison? So I'm curious, is like, is there a potential little love triangle here with the irony being that Allison does not love either of them at all. She just wants them to be loyal to her. Yeah, I get the impression that Allison is closed for business <laughs> from here on out. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but that's, well, I think for her, romance is something of novels that for her, women are used as strategic pawn pieces for men. And so she's just not interested in being a childbearer or somebody's wife anymore. Um, I think it's part of the animosity she has towards Renera that Renera gets to have this life as a much more free woman. And, and she's bitter about it, how she never had to do that and did all the right things. And yet... You know, there was that one scene a few episodes ago uh, before the time jump where Rhaenyra is like, I don't want to just be essentially a broodmare. And then Al and she looks at Alice and she's like, oh, sorry. I think it's of note. Uh, I didn't catch this the first time watching, but we, we have this theme of the, the greens and the blacks now, uh, which I think is from the history. Is that right? It's in the books. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Allison's children are wearing green. So they are Targaryens. And they are wearing green for House Hightower. It's not just Alicent who does this anymore. And so this is another example where Viserys allows this. It's such a slight, it's such a statement of where they stand. Um, and then, but the the other kids are all wearing black. Yeah, I think it's also just a visual aid for viewers. You know, most people don't go as deep as we do and they can easily lose track of who's who. Right after Rainy snubs Rhaenyra, she goes over and hugs her granddaughters and in the same scene, snubs Jace, who was standing with the granddaughters at this point. Because um, they're all her grandchildren. Right. Jace. Now, of course, they're at the funeral for the, the, the girl's mother, so it makes sense that she might be perhaps uh, more caring to them, but, but she snubs Jace. So we're seeing more that blood may not matter to her husband, Corliss, but it does matter to her. Which is funny, though, because you could still be a grandparent and love and have an amazing relationship. Yeah, but even our heroes remember how Catelyn felt about Jon Snow. It's um, yeah. just because someone's nominally in your family, a child. Now, she felt betrayed by Ned. Right. But John had nothing to do with that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, it, it's, it's one of the ways in which they really made Catelyn, who is such a likable character so devoted to her family it's one of the ways which you can easily criticize her for because she it wasn't that she didn't she was cruel to him yeah 
And then we get one more, uh, just <laughs> these poor kids. We get Amon walks up to Jace, wants to say something, doesn't say it, but it, he doesn't want to say anything antagonistic. It looks, he wants to be supportive and he's feeling for his cousin, half brother. What is he? <laughs> what is their relationship? Um, cousins, I guess. I feel like, though, that this is the last time that we see a kinder, more compassionate Amond. Uh, right, yeah. Well, right. He hasn't been transformed by his new powers yet. I did, uh, yeah. That was a nice scene, though. Just all, all these kids trying to, in their own kid way, be supportive before it all goes to shit. Well, and it illustrates that when the parents aren't fucking it all up, there's a chance and some of that natural innocence and inclination of children can come through if the adults and their desires and wants and either overprotectiveness or lack of involvement or what have you before it gets in the way. But the adults just <laughs> are, are so, ugh. it's difficult to watch all the bad parenting right. <laughs> in this show. But on the flip side, it's also the kids, it's their innocence and naivety that, allows them to be like this. And even if all the parents are out of the picture, the conflicts could naturally arise because of the, the power positions. True. But a lot of times, I think in, in a lot of uh, fiction books, but also in real life, that if real good bonds are formed in the formative years, it seems to last throughout a lifetime in a way that bonds made after these years don't always hold up. The person that you loved then, the your best friend, just some of those bonds seem to go the strongest from when you were a kid or a teen. And and so it's just, I think it's an important time. Yeah. After glancing over many times and thinking about it, Viserys finally decides to approach Damon and talk to him. And Viserys, again, we've seen for the 10 millionth time, wants Damon back in his life, wants him to come home, offers him a spot on his council. And Damon, as always, is a dick about it. Um, At least here, it shows that Damon does not have any interest to be a part of court or the power, which if that's supposedly what he's so interested in all the time, this is an opportunity to start getting his hand in the pot again. And yet he doesn't. Uh, He does have certain interests that might include power or being on the throne, but it's more something else that I think drives him. Yeah. And then... um... After they have their sad conversation, you know, Otto gives condolences to Damon and Damon tells him no matter how much the leech eats, he's never satiated something along those lines. So they, they've never been buddy-buddy. That continues here, of course. If I were Otto, I'd keep my mouth shut and not talk to Damon. He just lost his wife. From what we can tell here, he's acting appropriate and sad. Like, and it's not just an act. I think he did care for Lena. Otto knows that he doesn't like him at all. And just out of respect, you would just, like, he can't not be there because he's hand. But just leave him alone. But when he offers his condolences, I don't think he actually means it. I think he means it as a strategic move to say, I'm willing to come up and be this way. And Damon just doesn't give a fuck about propriety. So that's why he responds back in kind of, like, you're always going to want more. Like, you already have so much and you want more. Well, like the Corliss telling Carl to go get Lainor's scene. I think this also is just a reminder to the viewers in case we forgot their dynamic. Because um, it really didn't add much to have that particular scene in there. But then Viserys walks off and refers to Alice as Emma. Probably 
because he's losing his faculties a bit. Didn't seem to be a strategic play or anything. Yeah, no, I, I think he... What I was trying to understand, and I don't think it's clear at all from this, so we, we'll probably never know, is... I think it was a slip of the tongue, but then Sir Harold Westerling does say, would you like to have me remain with Queen Alicent? And he does say her name. And that might have been something where Viserys does recognize it because it does cut to him and it does cut back to Alicent where he might have had that recognition, but he doesn't do anything about it or it just goes completely over his head. So we don't know. But then... What I was wondering is, did Sir Harold Westerling, did he say this to try and remind the king that he just made a mistake? Because I don't know if that's appropriate for a guard to correct the king. Or is this where we're starting to see Sir Harold Westerling have some issues with the enmeshed relationship between Sir Kristen Cole and Queen Alison? That he considers that problematic, it is not impartial, and he sees some problems there because he's the Lord Commander. And he's got to run his, his nights here. And, and I'm wondering if this is him trying to kind of hint at and kind of put it out there that maybe I should stay back and someone else should go with you. Right. That is a possibility, but I don't know why in this particular scene um, he would offer that if he had a problem with Cole. But Because those two together are trouble. And Viserys not being there with all these other major players that don't get along. I think Sir Harold Westerling is smart and knows all these people. And that that is a powder keg waiting to blow. I think he would rather be there knowing that he might be needed in that way. Not have another wedding feast situation that happened. Uh, but also that Queen Alicent could be very problematic with what she does there. And Kristen Cole will only make it worse. Well, in a number of scenes here, uh, Sir Harold glances at Cole to see what he's going to do. And he's, he's definitely got it, his eye on him. Yes. So. And we've never seen that before. Yeah. Last thing I'll kind of say here is we've already started to get some of this with Viserys, but we got a couple different hits here, hints here or displays of how much he misses Emma. So the first one was when he goes to Damon and he says that it's like a blessing and a curse to have your daughters look like the mother that they lost. Mm -hmm. um, and so... He's struggling still with that. It makes me wonder, does, did he regret marrying Alicent? Th this seems like regret here where he's just giving up and he just wants his family around and she is just a very difficult person to be married to, to be the mother of your children. I, I sense regret at this point. Yeah, or at least it's not, there's not love there like there was with Emma, or at least the love that was there is closed now with Alicent. Being closed. I saw that already last episode. And yeah. this, there's no time jump between these episodes, except for maybe a couple months for everybody to travel and get to Driftmark. So it's not a huge time jump. But uh, I, the love, there, there's not, a, not only not even love, I don't even think there's friendship or affection. No, and Allison has clearly lost respect across the board for Viserys. There's... But she doesn't even bother to be kind. Yeah. He is not her king anymore. She does not do her duty. Yeah. She's just waiting for him to die. Because do you remember how we used to point out that she would go out of her way to bathe him? Like there was yeah. a relationship there at one point. That's long gone. So we cut over to Aegon, drunk and sleeping on the steps. Otto comes over and kicks him awake. <laughs> and Otto looks around before he kicks yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> make sure nobody sees, yeah. And the first thing Aegon says is, brother. yeah. So I got in my notes here, he might be a dreamer uh, to some extent because his brother's about to get his eye cut out and be in a big fight. So that made me wonder if he was dreaming about having some 
predictive powers in his dreams. Is that the thought you had? No, that they fight. And it, it, he would have naturally assumed that if someone is kicking him, because he didn't seem surprised that someone was kicking him. He just, it was, if you're used to being kicked by the same person, you would call out their name here. Yeah, I'm going to go with my interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think that at all. <laughs> um. Um, I did definitely take note of the fact that he said brother there. Yeah. And Amond sees and hears Vagar flying overhead. We don't really see it, but we see his shadow in the clouds, which is just kind of a cool shot. But um, this, I think that's the second time we heard some like swooshing overhead of wings wings flying by. But, you know, the, the seed is planted in Amond's mind. I don't know if it was just me, but Vagar just sounded very sad. There was a lot of like, <laughs> Yeah. All right, we get this meeting now between Rainey's and... Um, Corliss, a few interesting things here. Mm-hmm. So Rainey's is trying to blame Damon, and Corliss is defending Damon. I agree with Corliss here. Uh, yeah. I, I Again, I don't think Damon has done anything wrong. I agree with Corliss that it's an act of the gods, that the maesters over there were just as good. And they were. This was a, a, an unbeatable situation, and Lena knew it, which is why she died that way. If she thought that she could have fought and lived, she would have. She was such a brave woman, but she knew there was no chance. And that, it, it's just, we as an audience are able to see this. So, but it does show us that Rainey's is not thinking clearly in her grief here. And she is looking to hate and place blame places that isn't productive. Well, the, the only thing that makes her, gives her a little bit of uh, correctness is that Lena did tell Damon she wanted to go back home. So it doesn't matter, it would have been the same result, but... She knew that Lena, or she, whatever, sensed that Lena should have and wanted to be home. But, uh, but right, I, I agree with you. Act of the gods, it's much easier to blame people. And then Rainey's also blames their insatiable pride, which is Corliss's pride. If there's one way to describe Corliss, it's a proud man. He could have been a Lannister. Um, he, um, yeah, and... We started to see this previously where she's like, I have let this go. But this is where it's just outright where you are not doing this for me. This is all for you. You, To get get the crown back. To get, yeah. And and this is all, well, not to get it back. You can't get it back if you never had it. Um, But just to have it as part of your name. Corliss wants his line to be royal. Right. She points out, you know, this is not for justice. It's your own ambition. Yeah. And he, he's, it's, and, for him, it's the pursuit of legacy. Um, and she does point out, like, that might be why you live your life. And it's left kind of out there that that's not why she lives hers. I think she, her her family matters to her. Yeah, I wish she uh, said more uh, explicitly what she's comparing what he lives for to what she lives for. Because you, you're left thinking her family. Um, so it may not be that different, but he it's not family for him. It's what family can do for him in terms of power and prestige and, yeah. and being in the history books. I think she would be fine as long as they were still a noble house and her family survived and did well. That was, I think, what Rainey's wants. And well, she doesn't care if they're a part of royalty or the throne or not. Yeah, and importantly, it's her blood family. This is where her and yes. Corliss differ. So she wants Corliss to pass Driftmark on to Lena's daughter. And just a few minutes earlier, Corliss told Luke that it was his birthright. So they are obviously not on the same page. And on, upon second viewing of this episode, I saw a lot more conflict between them than I noticed the first time. Yeah, well, and 
they're talking and have disagreement when she says like his insatiable pride, but is when she tries to take Driftmark away from Rhaenyra's kids, he pulls out his hand out from hers and the scene ends in a, in a, a kind of a dramatic way yeah. um, because you see her kind of her hand still holding where he took, he was mad when yeah. she did that. Like it's almost as if she went too far. It was one thing for them to talk and disagree. It also shows that she's willing to throw three boys just down the well here innocent boys and just not care at all about them yep. doesn't matter if Lanor loves them doesn't matter if they have their name she is willing to throw them to the wolves and it, it i get it's tough times you know in that world that they all live in it's just cruel it is but she's also trying to advance her own family which is what everybody's doing so those boys getting driftmark is at the expense of her granddaughters getting driftmark but they were never going to get it that's the world they live in uh Right. They only get it when there's nobody else. And that's how Damon's first wife had it. Yes. um, Unless it's out in the open that these are bastard kids and not the true inheritance inheritors inheritors of it. Mm -hmm. This is where we get, I think, what's a famous line. And history doesn't remember blood. It remembers names. Uh, Yeah, but I think the, the... <clears throat> line from the previews was the one before that, which is, what is this brief life if not the pursuit of legacy? Something like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that history remembering blood and, or not remembering blood and remembering names? Well, I thought about it several times and I think it's correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the... So pride or not, Corliss has a point. Yeah, and that's um, that's a tricky one. I'm not a, a, at all sure precisely where I would land on it in this universe of my real children versus my nominal children. I mean, what's what's so good about these shows, these conundrums are, you can see everybody's point of view and you can struggle with where you would land on some of these things. I mean, so taking just modern times though, like I've known plenty of stepdads that were the most amazing and deserved fathers to right. kids but stepdads and adoptive dads or moms whatever those are by choice those aren't you're not being swindled or suckered into it you know so it's it's a little bit different what um, do you mean what who's being swindled well everyone who thinks that they have a child who's half Valarian but Lainer half... is not so I get that the well, realm Rainey's, is being Rainey's is feels that she is um, she doesn't like it and neither do... Uh, but she, she should talk to Lanar. Because what is interesting that we learn in this episode is Renera did everything that she could and genuinely tried to have Lanar and true Valerian blood kids. And it was Lanar who couldn't do it. And it's another example of it was something that he needed to do. And I get that there was probably some things here where it was just impossible. But it's not Rainey's fault. And she needs to shore up her line. So... If they had talked and been like, look, this was the only way you were going to get grandchildren from me, from anybody. So you either get them or none at all. And you married me off in a power position and I did this for you. It just shows how complicated this is, is like they were never going to get the ideal. So would you rather have something over nothing? There's a saying or a quip in evolutionary biology that says me against my brother me and my brother against our cousins, me and my brother and our cousins against everyone else. And it's basically trying to show the importance of kinship and how blood 
in nature really does matter. When you come to, you know, this kind of arrangement with humans, it gets complicated, but <sighs> again, I could see both points of view. What, what, what do you care about? Your actual children or your nominal children? But yeah, so it's, it's easy for us who are not in this position to say like, oh, the right thing would be like what Corliss is doing because those kids don't deserve the position that they're in. But then the whole tragedy of real life or um, the human condition is that blood does matter to people. It just does. Well, so I, I, I do agree with you on this. And, and I don't think we'll take this too far off the beaten path of House of the Dragon. But it, it's easy for me, not just critique of the show, but life. It doesn't matter as much to me. So, like, do I care about my family and siblings and people that I have a blood relation to? Yes. But if, let's say, one of my brothers adopted a kid, nothing would be different at all. And that's not blood. I, I would not change at all how much I would love that child or that being a part of my family. If you and I decided to adopt and, and take in a child that was not from our biological lines, I would love that child just as much as our children that I did birth. It, it is something to me that doesn't feel, I believe in family and that who you grow up with can make a big difference or who you align with in terms of houses and such. So that is something where like, absolutely do we need groups to survive? I get that from your evolutionary biology quote here. I just don't think it has to be literal blood. I think a lot of times it's more about kinship and how you achieve that. And that's where I come from. And I might differ from people here. And I admit that. But that's that's my stance. Well, again, that's adopting stepfathering as voluntary. But what if I came Not home? necessarily. What Catelyn, I... it wasn't voluntary. Well, and she didn't love John the way she loved her other children. Like, what if I came back with a child that you didn't know I had <laughs> and brought him into our house? It's I, like, I honestly, you wouldn't blame the kid. And but. I, don't, I don't mean this being like, I'm just such a magnanimous person. But I, if, if I were to continue to have a family with you like this, I would not blame a child. And if you are unkind or treat differently a, a child from your other children, you are blaming them. And I would like to think absolutely not, I wouldn't do that. And I don't think it would be difficult at all for me to love that child. So the statistics on abuse from stepfathers to children versus real fathers to children is quite clear that stepfathers are a lot worse than real fathers. I think it's easy to say that there's blood doesn't matter that much, but when push comes to shove, it does. But of course, worth talking about our real life you know, what if that happened in our world today where power by inheritance is not a thing, you know, where, or at least not a big thing, but they're talking about becoming the most powerful people in the world through inheritance. And that significantly complicates things. Also opens the door to like, what if the Strongs had not died? And then Harwin shows up 10 years later and says, you know, I'm actually part of the, the royalty now because my son is the king or the king consort or whatever, that's going to lead to all sorts of problems. Complicated issue and one of the big defects of monarchy. Yeah, I, I do think there are some examples in Game of Thrones where someone does adopt someone and takes them on and gives them prestigious positions within the family. Yeah, there are. 
but all these shows, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones are about these issues <laughs> and how, how much violence... Well, and it's based on actual history in our world. So it's not like George R. R. Martin made up these concepts. Like a lot of it is true. Um, It just, I think it's an example though. I I think things have changed quite a lot in our modern day. So even though it is pretty accurate of our history, I don't think it it holds as much sway as it it, it did back in a lot of the... Well, right, of course. Today's very different and we don't live in a monarchy. All right, Renera and Damon go for a little stroll on the beach. And this is where we do officially learn that Renera and Lanar did try. Yep. And Renera also doesn't believe that Allison could have the could have had the Strongs killed. But she, Damon already does. Right, and she's half correct there. She she had them killed by accident, essentially. But Damon um, is also half correct in that Allison is someone who's a part of this. Right. And right. Otto, he includes them both. And perhaps just a few late years after it happened, Alicent could have been more proactive in it. Both of them kind of, Damon and Renera, both kind of imply that their lives suck. She feels abandoned by Damon. And she's like... Oh, well, he ever- did. Right. But she's like, ever since he left, everything has sucked, essentially. But then he's like, well, how do you think my life has been? You know, so it's like... It hasn't sucked. It has, it's... I think they're dissatisfied and unfulfilled. But I, I, I don't think it's... The whole time it's been rough for either of them. But I think they were restless. It's this restless Targaryen thing again. And they both tried to do a very, very traditional, not stand out or make big moves, except for her not having kids that were laners. But otherwise, they were pretty boring with what they've done. They didn't make any grand gestures of how they were existing here. Well, Renera asks him about love. He, He doesn't say anything about love. He says, we were happy enough. But he also doesn't deny it. I, I actually believe that they did care strongly for one another. And she did care strongly for Sir Harwin. Had those people not died, I think this would have been an entirely different story. Yeah. I, Same way if Emma hadn't died. I feel that Renera's love or appreciation for Harwin is significantly stronger than Damon's for Lena. But that also just could be that Matt Smith plays it purposely, so it's very hard to read him. I do think that. I also think Damon is the type of guy where what he feels, he doesn't really show. So not just Matt Smith's portrayal of him, but Damon's just not the type of guy to say, I love you to his kids. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't. But we also see here in this exchange that Damon believes, like he he was able to acknowledge how reckless and dangerous he was, especially for a child. And that he recognized that he was that for her and left. That was a part of his reason for leaving was to, his words, he spared her. Does this show some growth in Damon or some awareness that sometimes he will make moves that aren't in his necessarily best interest at the betterment of someone else? Because he could have still been self-indulgent and stayed around court. Perhaps. I mean, he, he did try to marry her. And only left because Viserys kicked him out. So it's easy to say retrospectively he left to kind of protect her. But uh, regardless, we see that his erectile dysfunction issues seem to uh, not apply to people, to Renera at this point, or to Lena. So it makes me wonder why they included that in the early episodes. Um, so my first thought was like, well, maybe, you know, he, he can get excited by Targaryens, but then... He, he still had that perhaps issue with Renera early on, but maybe that was his guilt. So I don't know. It just, 
I just don't see what that added to the show necessarily. I still remember in the first episode where Misandria, what, what was her name? Yeah, I don't remember. Um, the white like, worm. She's like, I could put on a white wig. Yeah. So she did say that. So, And that would apply both to Lena and to uh, Rhaenyra. My thoughts are more psychological of just what a mess he was back then. He lacked direction in a way that he needed. Um, he was just too aimless, uh, and, and that was an issue. I think it was difficult for him to watch Viserys not be a better king. And, and I think the chickens have really come home to roost in that regard here of Viserys not being more feared, as Damon talks about. And I think it was difficult to feel like he could do something about it, but he wasn't able to. His hands were tied behind his back, but he didn't want to come off like actually like he wanted the throne because I didn't think he did. I think it more represents a psychological state, similar to Alicent with her uh, finger picking. She was just such an anxious mess then. I think she's an anxious mess now, um, but this is more, it, it's more just a depiction of where they're at psychologically at the time. All right, then the, one of the bigger events in an episode with a lot of big events, Eamon claims Vagar. Oh my God, it reminded me of that scene in Jurassic Park where Sam Neill goes up to the Triceratops and like leans on it as it breathes yeah. that he was going to go up. Cause you can really hear Vagar breathing. Yeah. I mean, they, they do such a good job with Vagar. We see that she's old yeah. and big and that she's got some thoughts in her head, but this scene was, was done really well. It was filmed at night, just like the scene with Renera and Damon is filmed at night, which is kind of hard to see. But I also think that this is some symbolism of things happening in the darkness, in the shadows, like they're mm-hmm. they're doing forbidden things, or at least things that would be. But the king's guard upon. are so bad at watching all these royal children. Like well, literally, yeah. every single royal child is getting out of bed, and nobody knows. Yeah. Well, let's get to that in a minute. But uh, but yeah, this scene of him claiming Vagar was just very good. The way he he spoke, that little kid actor did a great job speaking the Valerian, um, the old Valerian, whatever, and getting on the dragon. You and I have ridden elephants before, and just when you're sitting on an elephant, you realize that they could do anything they want with you. You feel, even though you can kind of like direct it this way or that, you know that you are at the complete mercy of this creature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this thing is, what, 50 elephants, you know? Um, well, Vagar is one of the largest ones, yeah. right? Yeah, and Vagar wasn't raised in a dragon pit. That's one of the reasons she's so big, because um, when they're inside, they don't grow as much. Did a really good job of showing the power. I love the way when you see the dragon from overhead, you can see the arms under the wings and the muscles there. Yeah, it um, reminded me just so much of a bat. Yeah. It looked just so realistic. Yeah, and this is perhaps why we didn't see um, more dragon scenes earlier. They had to put a lot, of, scenes. a lot of the budget into this. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice, though, when uh, I believe it was, was Bela... But when Damon's kids notice that Vagar is going, who does she go to to say that someone stole Rhaegar? Yeah, she wakes up Jace of yes, all people. Yes, she goes straight to Jace. Yeah. It cuts over to Damon briefly, who I think kind of senses what's happening. We don't know if he hears Vagar or whatever, but just a just a quick shot of him standing out. Well, and he beach. sees Ra- or Vagar flying, and I think he knows. He, Vagar has been claimed right yeah. away. He, he senses the situation. And, and it made me wonder that at first when he got together with Rhaenyra, that was just impulsive and passion. And now he recognizes, oh shit, we have just lost. Because keep in mind, Damon has been flying around with Vagar for over a decade now. Right. 
And he recognizes that this is a really, really big move. He doesn't seem like, oh, yeah, my daughter has just claimed uh, Vagar. I think he knows something big has happened. And I wonder if he is connecting. I'm going to have to, I can't play middle of the road the way I have this last decade. I'm, I'm going to have to help Rhaenyra. Right. When Rhaenyra and Damon decide to get married, it almost seems like this is Rhaenyra's desperate move to pull him in. But also, perhaps he sees this as necessary also. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then Aemon lands... Comes back inside and now has a chip on his shoulder. So the kids confront him. So something you mentioned last episode, I agree with you now. And not that I disagree before, but just I, we see evidence of it. Is it, So Raina is Bela's sister and Damon and Lena's daughter. She Raina is the one that does not have a dragon. And she is pissed because it was supposed to be her. And did you catch what Eamon's response to her was? He said you should have claimed the dragon yourself, something like that. He says you should get your cousins to get you a pig to ride. It would suit you. And it's the it would suit you that I was like, oh, so there is a lot of scorn and disdain for a dragonless Targaryen. Yeah. Overtly cruel to someone that he was so similar to just an hour before. Yeah. He is... Being a really mean, mean kid here now. We've got a brand new Aemond here. Uh, and, oh man, you got to be scared of Aemond here. Like, I... Now, in, in his defense, he didn't start the fight, either the words or the physicalness. No, he did. Um, he did start the fight. Your mother's dead. Right, but had those kids not come and confronted him, he would have just went and gotten to bed. So, yes, but they did. And he could just be like, look, I claimed her. I'm sorry. I know she was your mother's dragon, but she's mine now. Yeah, he did it in a pompous way, but I'm just saying. They, I think he started it. They approached him. I believe she pushed him first. After uh, he provokes with his words. Right. So he says that your mother is dead. And then he says you should get a pig. It would suit you. So he insults them twice on the night of their mother's funeral. Right, but, you know, as do insults like that make it okay to get physical? Well, he uh, called them a bastard, and Viserys seemed to think it was okay. Um, so, yes, you can say things that allow it for, like... Right, but this is before the bastard talk came out, because the bastard talk, importantly, calls the line of succession, you know, in, into question. But regardless, he gets pushed, he pushes back, he gets punched, he punched back harder, and then... And he brings in the weapon of the rock right, first. Yeah. So that made the knife more justifiable once the rock got lifted. I was so scared that he was going to kill one of those boys. <laughs> yeah, pretty tense the first time you watch it when you don't oh. know what's going to happen. Um, second time you watch it, it's tense too. But yeah, I remember when, the, when we watched it, you were like, oh God, I just can't. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a very strong reaction to it. and Part of it is just watching children be the level of cruel that adults should be capable of that that can be really disconcerting but also because this is game of thrones and like oh, yeah. don't know anything there. goes yeah. and kids smashing other kids faces in with a rock like yep i expect it and i i just i was so ready for it and that's what happens sometimes with watching game of thrones is like oh god please don't please don't please don't and, yeah um, well he loses his eye and then we get another one just whole cast in one room um, Which is so cool. Yeah. As a fan, we were talking about that with weddings and funerals, but this is such a neat scene 
as a viewer yeah. and a fan. But then they're all like yelling the way kids right. would be. <laughs> but then the insults come up. And, and actually, Alicent is joining them at some point. Yeah. So Viserys wants to know, what are the insults? And then Alicent is happy to hear this question. Because she... Um, so in this scene, there's an interesting Alicent and Rhaenyra fighting with each other through them trying to expose different things. I kind of took it that Alicent didn't think that the bastard part would come forward, but something else just to prove that it, it didn't deserve for uh, Aemon to have lost his eye. That that clearly her kids are, uh, Rhaenyra's kids are unruly and that they should be punished here. Well, I, th- I think Alicent's very glad that the discussion of the bastards is out in the open because she wants everyone to confront this issue because once they're seen as bastards, that gets her son the, the proper right of a uh, succession. But wouldn't it make more sense to do that after Viserys dies? Well, I mean, I guess she's given up on Viserys changing who the heir is going to be, but I think she's very happy for there to be enough doubt in the heir. So that they'll take Rhaenyra, but not her kids. Right. But th- that's the thing is if it gets out, even Rhaenyra has to forfeit. Right. She'll be ostracized. Right. So I, I think getting out is good for Alicent. But then Rhaenyra <clears throat> wisely tries to get Alicent in trouble by saying they must find out where these rumors came from. Well, and you see when, um, before a lot of the questioning starts, Rhaenyra is talking to the boys and they said, they tell her already. And they, they t- uh, there's a little bit of a shot on Rhaenyra where you see her contemplate, am I going to use this information? Like, I think she's deciding I'm going to bring this out in the open here too. And she's going to do it strategically. Right, because after she says, like, where do these rumors come from? You see Alicent, like, oh, shit. You know, I don't want, I don't want to get in trouble here. Well, um, she's finally getting ahead of the, the rumor rather than always being behind it. Um, but then Alicent is pretty smart here. She says, uh, where's Lenor? Where's their father? Which and- shows that she's got no problem throwing anybody under the bus and being incredibly disrespectful in how she does it. And I only point that out because she's all this person who's so pompous about her propriety. And yet she is bringing in Lenor at Lenor's sister's funeral in his father's hall. It's it's such a bold move in front of uh, Corliss and his family. Right. So she, there is no respect there. She goes, you know, he's, he's probably entertaining his squires. To which Kristen Cole laughs. And, and and it's not that different of how Damon laughed earlier. We right. see Kristen Cole acting in that way, but at least Damon seems to have these multi-layers where Kristen Cole does not. Well, we also get a uh, glance from uh, Sir Harold toward Kristen Cole here. I would label that glance as disapproval. Yeah. Um, right. And also Cole, you know, is in a tough spot here where he's got to protect these people, but he can't be... He's got to keep his position above his his personal loyalties. But his job is to be personally loyal to Alicent. But he's got a certain role, which, you know, will come up in a second. Well, um, and it's funny because he's questioning Amund here. And Amund does look at Alicent. But we also see Viserys look directly at Alicent. And he knows it's her. Right. But he doesn't throw her out under the bus in this situation. But he knows. Yeah. And Amund uh, deflects it over to Aegon. Which turned out to be a good strategy, but he's like, me, you know. Um, <laughs> but then he gives an, an honest answer, which nobody can argue with. He said, yeah. just look at them. Uh, we all know it. 
And sometimes that's all you got to say. So this is where I'm going to start to throw in some things because this is where I think this whole part of the episode is, is directed so brilliantly is that when Agen says everyone knows uh, Renera at this point is standing alone with the boys. There is no one else standing by her. Mm-hmm. I will add to this as we continue chatting. <laughs> well, and also when he says that, just look at them. We see Rainey's look at Corliss. So this is the... Same discussion they were having. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, and Aegon's right. Everybody does know. Yep. And then Alison goes off the rails here and demands an eye for an eye. And here's what she says. He is your son, your blood. This is another time where I just want to be like, Alison, what the fuck are you talking about? Rhaenyra is his daughter and his blood. She's got no less stake in this than Aegon or Aemon does. Like, Alicent clearly views her kids and herself and her family as better than everyone else. And the way that the, Tar- the Targaryens do, the thing is Targaryens actually do have magic and dragons. So Alicent is getting way too big for her britches here. She's not logical in some of the things that she says. Well, you're right. And yeah, she goes completely off the rails because she also orders Cole to, to go do this, which not only would be impossible like of course he's going to get stopped but he denies her and you know said clarifies that he's her protector not her non-protector thug is the way i thought about it but is this temporary do you think um do you think he's gonna start to just become the thug for her especially if he's jealous of laris and, and this is me just wondering, like, I don't know. Because he, he, he did set a boundary here of, I, I'm sworn as your protector. But he runs to go aid her and is held back by other knights. Yeah, so real quick before we get there, he, um, I'm not going to answer your question. Okay. Uh, but, oh, is it but, something from the book? Uh, no, but th- they're laying the seeds for, for him to become more than just her protector. At least that's what she thinks. But when she orders him to do that and he refuses, Sir Harold is next to him kind of holding his breath, waiting to see what he's going to do. And then as, as a, I thought, visible sigh of relief when Cole denies her. This also plays right into Laris's hand because he's like, I'll do it for you. Right, exactly, right. So if Cole's not going to do her dirty work, she has an alternative. And then, um, you know, Viserys, poor Viserys, all seven episodes, he basically just demands things all the time. That don't work. I, I demand that you guys be friends. I demand that this, that, and the other thing. But here he makes an actual threat. And he says, I'm going to cut out the tongues of anybody who repeats this lie. So this is the most backbone I've seen with him about such a large issue. He does have backbone some other times early on with Rhaenyra and with Damon, But especially at this point, he knows it's Alicent. He knows Otto. This is a problem. And so he's basically putting it out there that anyone who questions the parentage of Rhaenyra's sons, they're going to have their tongue cut out. And I don't care who you are. It's in front of everyone. He laid it down there. And he has to follow up. if. Yeah, but I, I think he means to. Yeah. This is him being like, all right, I guess this is what I have to do. I have to get people to fear me now. Try to go about this another way and it didn't work. But now it's becoming obvious to me that there's definitely going to be a war here as soon as he dies. That's all what everyone is waiting for is Viserys to die and all hell is going to break loose. So let me ask you, do you think any tongues are going to be removed? No. I think he's going to die. And then uh, Alicent 
<laughs> goes off the rails for like the third time in this scene and takes his knife. This is the famed knife, knife or dagger that'll eventually kill the Night King, and uh, attacks. <laughs> goes for the eye of Jace, I guess. And the right. So this is we had to pause this and read the dialogue and make sure we knew what was happening. But right away, Sir Harold orders Cole to stay back. He orders people to stay by the king, but Cole doesn't. He starts making a beeline for Alicent. Intentions not quite known, you know, because... Right, but he should not be doing this. Right, but we don't know if he's going to disarm Alicent or... But uh, we see him actually... attack anyone that goes for her or... Yeah, and we know that he can be unhinged because there's a history of it there. Um, And he's literally held back by other guards. Yeah, including Damon who intercepts him. And then Damon, yep, does come in and intercept. And what's interesting is it's not that Damon goes to fight for Rhaenyra the way that Cole's trying to go supposedly to fight for Alicent. Damon holds it back to let them duke it out. Rhaenyra catches the knife. I mean, neither of them are warriors, but Rhaenyra has the more warrior vibe than Alicent. Oh, and she so. also is playing again here. Yeah. We see her play. She knows, like, now they see you for what you are. Right. And she does that to go to Allison. She wants Allison to lose it. She also says it quietly. So that's meant for Allison and not for the rest of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Whereas she says some stuff before that a little bit louder. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, we're seeing Renera play again. Uh, like, she's playing the Game of Thrones and she's doing it. And she's holding... Her shit together under (laughs) trying circumstances here. Well, this whole scene, you know, flips almost everyone against Alicent, I would assume. At least us as viewers who are like, well, I see her points or whatever. It's like, you're like, oh, God, she's going to take this kid's eye and uh, can't control herself, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is a golden opportunity for Renera to make Alicent look bad. Yeah, and she takes takes advantage of it and does a good job. This also, though, is Alicent officially draws blood. The Greens officially draw blood here from the Blacks. Now, I know we had the kids fight and stuff, but that I don't think counts. This does. And this With also, the Valyrian steel. This also made me think of um, Helena's prediction about Greens and Blacks and... Being woven together by dragons. Well, yeah, not just that. Like, um, you think of sewing, right? So we see... The sewing of Eamon's eye and the sewing of Renera's arm and the clothes get ripped here. I do have so. a note that that maester got a lot of sewing practice. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know if Helena's prediction was for this particular couple of minutes, but it, it might fall into that. Mm-hmm. Allison draws this first blood here. And now when she draws blood, immediately Corliss is now behind Renera and holding her. He's standing behind her. And supporting her. Right. She's not falling or anything, but he's standing behind her and he has his arms on her because he sees how she's just been injured. And I'm pointing that out because before she was standing alone and now Renera has made some moves here and now we've got Corliss standing behind her and he's he's no small feat. Like this is a big deal that Corliss is right there. He could just be standing off where Rhaenys is because right. Rhaenys isn't Rhaenys there. Rhaenys is not right there. What happens then is Sir Criston is held back, but then he joins Alicent as she is hugging Aemond. I also think that this is noteworthy. We've got Alicent and Aemond and Sir Criston Cole who are now in a group there. Um, They're having a stare down with... 
And immediately after we see that, we cut over back to Rainy, uh, or Rhaenyra, and now uh, we see Damon standing right next to her and Corlys. So, and this is how it's filmed. It's this cutting. Right. So we have three and three here. Uh, and so Rhaenyra, Corlys, and Damon, and they're all standing by each other. And then Cole, Alicent, and Aemond. Which on the face of it, the Rhaenyra side looks a lot stronger in that particular picture. But that Aemon got Vagar, so... And as he and his grandfather, Otto, say, the price was worth it of his eye. Right. That's that's the very next scene we see where Otto is, you would think, disappointed that Alicent lost her cool, but he's proud of her. He sees that she's capable of doing what is necessary. Um, she finally gets approval from her father when she goes batshit crazy. Yes. So for the first time she gets what she's always wanted. And it's just like, that is so painful for me. But Otto's been scared this whole time that she didn't have the, the, I would say disappointed, not scared. Well, I mean, scared in the sense that, yeah, like worried that they're not going to end up on top. But we see here, he's in it to win it. He thinks they have Vagar. He sees that she's capable of doing crazy things. So he says... Which also means he is capable of doing crazy right. things and has been doing them all along. And very much deserved when he got sacked by Viserys for not being more objective. And he straight up says, we're going to win this, you and I. Something like that. Like, rest assured, you and I will come yep. on top. Something like that. So he's, yeah, he's in it to win it. All right, and then Lenor shows up as Rhaenyra's arm is being stitched, and that great line, um, I should have been there, or something, and she <laughs> says that those could be our house words. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that too. But he recommits himself as the, well, he says, you deserve a husband. Yes. Yeah. So he, he is recommitting himself, but that's... The screenwriters yep. and the, the director and stuff here, I am so proud of them. From here on out especially of this episode, what is said and what is not said is so important. Yeah, and the meanings, double meanings to a lot of things. Oh, oh for, I forgot real quick, speaking of double double meanings, or I, I don't know what you call it, like um, things mirroring each other. So when Renera said about to Alicent, like now they see you for what you are, in the very next scene, Otto says to Alicent, you've exposed Renera for what she is. Some, something to that extent. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this episode is good. But, uh, <laughs> but right, so Lanor recommits himself. So upon f- first viewing, when you see that they're going to plot to kill him, you're like, God damn it, just as he's like stepping up to be the man he's going to be. But then we see that that's, that's all trickery. He, he shows some honor here, and he fully admits he loves his boys. It's just nice to see that of some characters here, just that, like, it's authentic. Those boys are loved by several people. So I'm going to go a little bit out of order of the notes, but let's just talk about this whole Damon Renera thing now. Um, so, right, so Lanar recommits himself, but then... Um, Damon and Renera. Well, it, it's important to note when Lena recommits himself, he talks about the agreement that Rhaenyra and he made a decade before that they would allow each other their indulgences to be happy, but also do their duty. And Rhaenyra's just laughing here. I think she thinks they're just talking, but she's laughing. And then Lena says, I don't think we can, I can have both, or we can always have both. And, and Rhaenyra stops laughing there. 
So he's basically saying, I'll do my duty now, but I'm not going to be happy. That's important. That's good setup here. He also says that Carl's going back to the Stepstones. Yes. So he's he, at this point in his mind, he's going to let Carl go yep. so that he can be so he's not able unhappy to fight. husband. Yeah, he's not able to fight and feels restless. But basically, his partner, his non-nominal partner, <laughs> uh, is, is leaving. Right. And then Damon and Renera are talking and Renera approaches this probably wisely in her choice of words. She says, I need you, uncle. So, well, and, uh, so really quick, Renera is um, in the scene there with Laner. The last piece I'll say here is that Renera she shows a more grown-up side here about Laner seems to carry a lot of regrets, but she does not. And I, I like that about her, and I like that about uh, her as a potential ruler here of, of not being regretful of it. She's able to see, like, yes, this has been a challenge of, of some things with their dynamic, like Laner and herself, but... Uh, he is an honorable man, and that's that's really rare. Right. And she's not wrong. Which, right, what makes it all the more sad, though, when you think that uh, she's, well, she's about to have him killed. Or is she? Well, right. So they're a little ambiguous about when exactly this they, they decide to go the way they do it. But so, like I said... Can she, I, I just say here, though, Game of Thrones seems to have a thing that they do with honorable men. Uh, yeah. Have them die. <laughs> yes, they kill them off. Yeah. So, right. So she says, I need you, uncle, which is just, I think Damon needs to feel needed, you know, needs, needs to be appreciated for what he is. Yes. It's <clears throat> not to be needed because he could always have had that. Viserys always needed him just not to be a jackass, but needed him in court. Uh, like the his relationship with Masaria or whatever her name was, uh, he could have been needed there. He wants to feel useful. Right. With who he is and what he brings to the table. He wants to feel useful. Uh, and that is a very important part about Damon. So he points out, we couldn't marry unless Lenore is dead. She says, I know. They're misdirecting us here, making us think that they're going to do this deed, this evil deed. Cuts over to Damon bribing Carl. And um, so I think a lot of viewers missed exactly what happened here and who was behind it all. But they showed Damon killing this guard in the stairway. And this guard must be the body that gets stood in for Lenor. So at the very least, Lenor, Carl, and Damon are working together. Maybe Renera. I think it's all four of them. I yeah. definitely think it's all four of them. The first time we saw this, I, I missed it. But the second time, you and I literally were pausing. They spliced it together fast. Where You, you really actually do need a second watch, I think, to grab everything. Because you are getting subtitles of voiceovers. Right. Of what Damon and Renera are saying while all the action of Lenor is happening. And this is where I'll say, pay attention to what is said and what isn't said. In this voiceover part, um, first they're talking about how it's going to spread fear. You have to be feared. And they don't mind that there's going to be rumors spoken here about if they did this or not. They're planting that seed well, and especially if they don't feel guilty about what they've done. If they believe that everybody is winning in this scenario and they're the only ones who know because they can only know, it's a win-win for everybody, but yet they also get a boon of the fact that people will fear what they're capable of. Now, one thing I think they left out of their equation, though, is how might Corliss and Rainey's react if word gets out, as they want, that this was done by Damon and Renera. So 
that's um well that's why they're what you wish for yeah but they're also being careful though of carl and I, I, I think Carl, he doesn't have any name. He, he doesn't have much standing. Everybody is aware of his relationship with with Lenor. I don't think he would have much to stand on. Like he, They would just be like, oh, he's like, they would cut out his tongue or kill him if he tried to throw such powerful people of both Damon and Rhaenyra under the bus. I just don't think he's got any legs to stand on there. I don't know. Corliss is pretty powerful. Um... One of the first things that Rhaenyra says is, Fire is a prison, and the sea offers an escape. Yeah. So if Laner stays with the fire and the Targaryens, it will be a prison. And she needs a husband, though. But the sea offers an escape. And, and so that's literally, like, what yeah. can happen here? This is when I first believe that they are hatching their plan to fake Laner's death. And that so they here everybody can get what they want. Laner can go be with Carl and fight and not really and be happy, which he says here. Um, so it's duty or happiness, but he can go be happy. But Rhaenyra needs a husband, and she needs Damon to be her husband. And they can only do that if Laner is dead. So this is literally the exact way that everybody gets what they want. Rhaenyra does also say we cannot face the greens alone. So now they have it in the dialogue of these greens and blacks, mm. um, but we cannot face the greens alone. And so she's really kind of setting up here of why it, I think Damon was already on board, but how he just has to. Damon is the one that kills the guard. Yeah. So he's for sure right. in on this. Because it could have been Carl who plotted with Lanor, but they clearly show that it's Damon. Did you notice though, um, when he approaches Carl? <laughs> He's wearing that same hood of when he goes and meets his his first wife, and it's just like, oh man, whenever Damon wears that hood, he is up to no good. <laughs> now, right, so then um, they find this body burning in the fire, and Corliss, again, talking about that, um, this happened in two scenes, Corliss says to the guards, how could you let this happen? Which is the same thing that uh, they said about the the king's guard about the kids fighting each other so this this part there's only seven king's guard <laughs> you know um well and he's and saying the, that to his own to guard his own personal but guard, i, I yeah. did write that this is the second time ahead so corliss and then viserys is asking their own guards how they could let something so destructive yeah. happen and Rhaenys, um, uh when she sees the body she pushes corliss away yeah going going back though here cuz i i'm going back to some of the dialogue that happens here of these voiceovers uh, but also during some of these scenes, because I'm trying to make the case of why I think they're all uh, in on this. So when Damon approaches Carl, he says that there are places across the sea where it doesn't matter what one's name is, only how much gold he possesses. I think he's speaking about Laner here and right. not Carl. And Agreed. so, uh, but you could read it either way. But you could once, but, you, once you know what happens. It's but he, clear. he's not saying. It won't matter what your name is. So this is one of those things of what's being said and what's not being said. And so this is where Damon is. A, 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 uh, we don't know it as an audience, but I think he is telling Carl, let's fake Laner's death. And then he says, uh, Carl's, what are you asking me? And this is what Damon says is a quick death and one with witnesses. But he never mentions Lanor. He just knows that someone has to die and we have to have witnesses to pull this off. Yep. Because Damon kills the guard, it's because we need his body. Right. And then uh, Rhaenyra, during a voiceover, she's like, I do love Lanor. And Damon's voiceover is, well, then set him free. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's what they do. And uh, this is a departure from the book where there's no reason to think that Lanor survived. In the book, it is pretty clear that he is killed by someone, presumably Carl, because Carl's never seen again. And then there's a bunch of rumors of why that was done. One of them is that perhaps he was bribed by Damon. Um, but Which he was. Right. There was gold exchanged. But this is a departure from the book, which is nice for us people who've read the book to not be able to know what's going to happen. And like I said before, when when Rainey's is over the body crying, she pushes Corliss away. And there was a scene a few minutes before this where Corliss and Rainey's are watching Viserion's party, um, or Viserion's party, leave Driftmark. And she turns her back and walks away from Corliss. So I definitely was noticing upon second viewing much more conflict between Corliss and Rainey's than I noticed the first time. And we also see Vagar take off with the two other dragons. Uh, so we can say that Team Green has three dragons, but one of them is the nuclear option of, of Vagar. All of Allison's kids now have a have a dragon. And we can look up online all of their dragons' names and everything like that, but we choose not to because the show isn't telling us. So yeah. you know, well, it tells us when it wants to, so right. everybody knows Vagar now. Right. So we get our time right. And then we cut over the marriage scene of Damon and Rhaenyra, kind of a. This would be my only criticism of the episode is we just don't know how much time went by. It all seemed to go so fast. The first time I watched it, that kind of bothered me. The second time, whatever. What does it matter? But all this blood ritual stuff, that's new. We haven't seen that before. <laughs> so we still can't have a wedding without blood. But we did have a wedding without death. <laughs> yeah. And maybe we could call this an, uh, uh, the first official red wedding. Yeah. And both their children are there. So four kids. All of the children were there. Um, it appeared to be a Valerian priest. They are not doing this in the Westerosi culture. They are doing this in old-style Valerian culture. Um, and then they also, there was a maester there who was lovingly holding yeah. the kids. So I think was witnessing it. But I just thought it was interesting of who was chosen to be there. I believe it's at Dragonstone, too. Just the... Uh... Oh, we don't okay. know, but I think time has passed. They're at Dragonstone because it's like cloudy out and misty and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, uh, something just quickly to note. Uh, we do see a scene with Alicent um, and Larry's and she says like, yes, I might have use for you, but she specifically says skill and discretion. And I think the discretion was, you can't be ogling me the way you were before. If we're going to do this and help each other, you're going to have to be more discreet. Right. So she's got her secret weapon in Laris, and perhaps, we don't quite know, but perhaps her brute force weapon in Kristen Cole. The last thing, we were just talking about it, of how Damon and Rhaenyra have their voiceover, and they're talking about, yeah, like she's saying, I don't want to be a tyrant. I, I'm not going to rule uh, through terror. And, and Damon says, like, yes, you do need to cultivate love and respect, but you also have to be feared. And I think he's talking about Viserys here. I think he's saying, that went badly. You cannot be that. I was right all along. I mean, we saw him criticize Viserys early on, and he's not wrong here. Viserys is not feared. Nobody listens to him. Right. And it's sad. And, and Damon recognizes that if you're going to be a good ruler here, you're going to need to at least be feared too. All right. What's your ranking? Nine. And that's good for me, just so people know. Like, I'm leaving 10 for literally the perfect episode. But nine is about as good as you get without being perfect. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine and a half, almost 10. The, like I said, the only thing I didn't like, the first 45 minutes, first whatever, all the stuff at Driftmark is 10 out of 10. But then it just goes a little fast after that, mm -hmm. um, which is 
in an episode where a lot of things are happening fast, that can work. But when the you go from like very meticulous scenes to like three or four quick succession scenes, it's a little jarring. But so I'm gonna give it nine and a half. So very very good episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very well done. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>